All right, we're going to continue our Abram journey today, making our way through Genesis. Um, I like the wood etchings by Gustav Dore, which is that. Don't necessarily agree with all the feathers and the wings on the angels, but I like his stuff. And so that is a picture of Abraham meeting with his three visitors. And uh, look at how they viewed angels still in the 1800s. The title of today's sermon is The Unexpected House Guest. Abraham, someone comes to visit. So let's go through his story real quick to get where we're at. We're not even 20 chapters into the scroll of Genesis yet. Um, so we're still fresh. And Abram was called out of Ur. He left the city life behind, moved to Haran with his family. Finally left to go to Canaan after his dad died. Um, he takes Lot, his nephew, with him. And he gets to a location where he feels like he's going to set up his tent. He builds Yahweh an altar and he starts his life there. Uh, he's got his life going on. Famine forces him to Egypt. He goes to Egypt. He lies to Pharaoh about Sarai, his wife. He endangers his wife. He brings curses on Egypt because Pharaoh married the woman of another man. And um, Pharaoh's finally had enough. He sends Abram on his way. When he sends Abram on his way, Abram is expelled with his accumulated riches. Pharaoh didn't even care. He just wanted the guy out of his country. And uh, he goes back to that altar, and he makes thanks to Yahweh, and things get smoothed out. Lot and Abraham separate nicely because they've both been blessed in material goods, and so the the area wasn't enough for all of their herds. And uh, shortly after that, Lot moves down by Sodom, and uh, we have the Battle of the Nine Armies, where the Mesopotamian kings have come over, and they were not getting the tribute and the taxes that they wanted from those city-states there by the Dead Sea. And so the Mesopotamian kings come over and they kick butt and they take what they want. And in the process, they take Lot and his family, if you'll remember that. And then we get Abram with his special forces unit that goes in at night. And with the benefit of Yahweh, he defeats all four of the armies with 300 and something men. And he brings back Lot and everything that they took. And when he takes it back, he meets this priest named Melchizedek, who looks like he blesses Abraham and almost looks like he's taking communion with Abraham, Abram, and we talked about that. And then Yahweh comes in a very strong vision, and Abram witnesses this vision, and they have the covenant procedure with the splitting of the animals, and Yahweh again is offering, Abram, this is what I'm going to give to you. Nothing is required of Abram at this point other than just be faithful. And um, we leave that. Abram is filled in faith again. And then time passes, and his wife still doesn't have a kid, and his wife is worried about that more than Abram, I think, is worried about that. And so in an example, again, where people waiting on God... They take things into their own hands. Uh, Sarai gives Hagar, her maidservant, to Abram as a wife. And they get to know each other, and a son is eventually born. Um, they're really bad to Hagar, though, in the process. And we talked about that. It's an ugly story. 
And Hagar is abused and she fleed. She met Jesus in the wilderness. And we talked a little bit about the angel of the Lord, which is important because he's going to keep showing up with Abraham. And uh, Ishmael was born, and that's where we left off. Um, So Ishmael is born, and we're going to move forward. And so Genesis 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. This is the first time in the Bible where God refers to himself as El Shaddai. Um, We translate it God Almighty, but you can get into the El Shaddai translation stuff. You can kind of see what it means. People are split a little bit on what El Shaddai means. But it looks like it comes from one of the root words for mountain. So it's something about I am your mountain, I am your strength. Um, and then there's other people that look at it, and they it's I am the, the executor of force for you. I'm the one that's going to do it for you. Um, all those work. So I don't think we have to be too picky on that. I am God Almighty, El Shaddai, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I, am, I have made you the father of a multitude of nations." So here I want to point out that we've had a 13-year time jump since we left off. So 13 years have passed. We know that by Abram's age. And um, so Ishmael is now 13 years old. Again, Yahweh appears to him. um, And when it says appeared, it actually means to see. It doesn't necessarily mean a vision. And uh, this is the first time he gives Abram a command in expecting some kind of... uh, some kind of agreement out of him as far as an action. Before, when he was talking to Abram about his blessings, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to do, he partakes in the covenant, Yahweh does it all. It just says that by Abram's faithfulness, he is, he is made righteous through that. We talked about how the New Testament echoes this. And uh, in this one, though, God is asking him to walk before him and to be blameless, um, Obviously, blameless doesn't mean perfect. There's no perfection there possible for any of us, especially at this point. There's no way to, to counter sin. And, um, but Yahweh now has an expectation with Abraham, and we're going to go further into Yahweh's first expectations back. And the first, like I said, the first two promises were on, they were on Yahweh, but this is the first mutual covenant. He changes his name. So Abram's name before this is Abram, and it meant exalted father. Um, And then after this, he changes it to Abraham, which is father of multitudes. So exalted father is interesting because if he's an exalted father, you'd think he's hanging out with other people. What's your name? My name's Abram. Oh, exalted father. How many kids do you have? And Abram's like, "Eh, none, none. So it's, it's a name of faith. And it's a name I'm sure that reminded, reminded him of what he, was, what he was going to do. But at the same time, it's a name for something he didn't have yet. But now he's going to be the father of multitudes. And again, he's just got the one kid. Uh, Genesis 17, 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations. And kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me 
and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So he's looking a little more specifically into the future at this point. This is also, I want to note, before I will make you, I will make you the father to many, and now it's turning into multitudes. God has upped it. He's saying, this is what I'm going to do. I've seen you, Abram. I know you. And it's another, the, the use of telling him that he's going to have kings and different nations will be formed is just an example of the quality of his offspring. It's not just that Abram or Abraham is just going to have lots of kids now. God is pointing out the quality and what's going to come from these kids. And again, he makes the land promise to Abram, Abraham. Now I've got to catch myself. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your own offspring. But he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely, shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So this is where we get circumcision from. And so a lot of people think circumcision and they just go back to the law of Moses. And it's, it's pre-law of Moses. This is something that was expected of Abraham and anything associated with his family before that. And it was considered an everlasting covenant. And um, this gets addressed in the New Testament. We have the, the groups of early Christians who start fighting over the idea of circumcision. And if you want to read about that, go read some Paul stuff. Paul's got a lot to say about that. And you'll find out about the fighting with that, whether circumcision is still for today. I inquire you to go look. A lot of people come out of this with different things. Um, but this isn't law of Moses. So that's, that's just an interesting thing to keep in mind. This goes back further. Um, and you can debate theology about it, and what Jesus has accomplished, and what you need all you want. But that's not the focus of today. Um, God is expecting us that's it. That's all he's saying. I'm expecting this from Abraham's family. This is what's going to be the covenant. This is my opinion. I think he picked this because, as we know, Isaac is going to be born as a complete miracle, as a complete work of God. The starting of the nation is completely God's. And I think that's the idea, is, is there is this connection with the procreation through God's promise and I think that's probably why it's a reproductive organ. I don't know. That would be my guess, is it's just a symbol that as your family goes on in life, and as they do things with their reproductive organs, they will find and remember my promise and who it is that even gave birth to their entire nation. That would be my guess. I don't think we fully know why, but that kind of makes sense to me.
And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. So this is a good thing to look at because this shows us that Abraham still loves Ishmael. That love was always there. He's probably quite attached to his son. When we left him 13 years ago, the son and maidservant came back and things were tense. But we can see that Abraham has a great relationship with his son and is completely fine with his son that he had with, with Hagar receiving the blessing. So this is good on Abraham's character, in my opinion. And God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you, and behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation." But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear you, bear to you at this time next year. So God makes good on his promises to all of Abraham's children, specifically with Ishmael. Um, Isaac, what's the name mean? Laughter, yeah. He laughs. And that's what it's coming out of. So God plays off the fact that Abraham is laughing. It says, you know what? When you have this kid, his name is going to be laughter. And then we get Isaac. And when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael's son, and all those born in his house are bought with his money, every male under the, any male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with the money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. So Abraham did not waste time at all in accepting what God said. And at this point, Abraham, we can see that his faith is there. And his actions match his faith. And Abraham is on this track to walk before God and be blameless. Genesis 18. So some time has passed. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourself. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. And so they said, do as you have said. So he's going to, he's getting things ready. He's going to wash the feet of these individuals and he's bowing to them. So we know that it is, he refers to him as Lord. So we believe that here is the angel of the Lord again, the angel of Yahweh. 
And so now he's going to wash who we believe to be Jesus' feet. Which is interesting because in the New Testament, you get the reversal of that. It is Jesus washing the feet of these, this group of Hebrews. The first time we get the feet washing, it's Jesus' feet. It's again showing us Jesus, when he comes later as a human, he reverses things. He comes as a servant. And he does it for the children of Abraham, whereas in this case, Abraham did it for him. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the young man, who prepared it quickly. And he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. So this just, he gets a meal going. He's giving them the best. And he's also serving them as a servant while they dine. That's the standing before, under the tree with them. And so we see here Abraham's hospitality. We see here Abraham's humbleness, knowing that God is there and he wants to please God. He wants to give to God. And they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Did, we, did, did anybody say that before that? No. So God knows what she's thinking, which is fun. Um, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. So God's not letting her get away with this. For whatever reason, God is like, no, you were laughing, Sarah, I heard you. And uh, so Sarah, that laughter thing, connecting the laughter with Isaac, just kind of fun, because it's like, he didn't just let it go. No, no, you laughed. And the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And here's where we get setting up for later. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And the Lord said, so the Lord, this is, this is a strange, this is strange, because the Lord, he must be talking to his two, his two fellow spiritual being travelers with him. But he's doing it in front of Abraham. And he's just he's kind of testing Abraham here. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. And then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done all to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So a couple of things here. Abraham is bringing up the point that through, or I'm sorry, God is bringing up to the point that Abraham is going to be blessing other nations. And in the future, we see more of what that blessing is. And we know that the ultimate blessing to the nations is the birth of Jesus. But he's also reminding Abraham of his character with justice. And then the Lord said, because of that outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, the language here is the same language that's used in Genesis 6. 
where it talks about the outcry um, that comes up because of what's happening on the earth in Genesis 6. So they're, they're paralleling that. That's an important parallel when we get into Sodom, because we're going to talk about another theme that runs through Sodom again. Um, does God need to go down to the city to see what's going on? No. No. So we, we know that this is a lesson. We know that this is, something's going on. Abraham's with them right now, and God's trying to teach him something. And so the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. So that would be the two, the two angel spiritual beings that are with Yahweh at the time. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham drew near, drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within that city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. So already, Abraham is calling him out on his character. What is the character of Yahweh? He refers to him as the, the judge, the just judge of all the earth. And so Abraham has that relationship with him already. And Yahweh is, okay, Abraham, I'm fine with treating with you. If I find 50, we'll spare it. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And Yahweh said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, Suppose 40 are found there. He answered, For the sake of the 40, I will not do it. And then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, For the sake of the 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, For the sake of the 10, I will not destroy them, destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. All right, a couple things to see here. I have a feeling that if Abraham would have kept going, he might have gotten down to like five or one. Does Yahweh need to deal with Abraham? No. No, he doesn't need to deal with Abraham. So what's, what is he doing? What is the point of this? What is the point of this discussion? I think the point of this discussion is, A, I think it's, it's showing that there's honor between them. There's that honesty between them. And I think that God is showing Abraham his expression and his still desire for humanity outside of Abraham. I think he's showing him, Abraham, you're stepping in the place because you are a friend of God. The New Testament refers to Abraham as a friend of God. It's one of the only friend of God references in the Bible this one-on-one -on -one conversation between the angel of Yahweh and Abram. I think he's teaching them the idea of intercession. I think he's, he's teaching them the fact that because you are another nation, it doesn't mean that you have to leave all these other nations out to dry. You can provide this blessing. And we're seeing from Abraham's character that Abraham does believe, has this relationship with Yahweh, and believes that he is just and true. And at this point, 
they, they've been around, they know each other well. They know each other well. So, so the Lord says, all right, we'll do 10. I think Abraham could have went lower. Who knows? And Abraham returned to his place, and that's the last we see of the angel of the Lord for a bit. So, so where we've left off today and where we'll resume later um, is you've got two spiritual beings headed down to Sodom. And they're going to go check it out. They're going to go check out what has happened with the cries that have gone up. And uh, one of the themes of this is, is this idea of justice. God's justice with humanity and also with Sodom. The idea, remember before we talked about Abraham, Abraham wouldn't deal with the king of Sodom. He wanted nothing to do with the king of Sodom. He left everything. He didn't want to take anything from the king of Sodom. And he referred to it as a wicked place. So there's some injustice there that's going on. And we don't know exactly the injustice, but we'll delve into that when we take a look at that chapter later. Um, so yeah, we kind of get to see this idea of, of Abraham hanging out with part of the Trinity in the flesh and this discussion and this relationship that they have. Um, we get to see that... There's this idea sometimes with the Tower of Babel, when we leave the Tower of Babel, that, that Yahweh just lets the nations go and doesn't concern himself with the nations or justice for people in other nations. There's this idea that then he's just focused on Israel alone. And we see that that's not true, that he's still focused on humanity. And there's still that overarching plan that's coming into being. And, uh, yeah. And I like the fact that, that Yahweh is coming down still to hang out with humans. You know, if, I believe it's Jesus. I believe that that is Jesus. And that he is uh, he's teaching. It's this idea, we always think of Jesus as, as a teacher. And here we got Jesus giving examples and Jesus teaching even back then. It's just kind of cool. And so I can't get into Sodom this week, so we're going to finish it there because Sodom is going to be a week in its own, just getting into the history. And um, we'll leave it there. So Abraham entertains his unexpected house guest. And this is also the reference in the New Testament when it talks about be careful, you know, show hospitality because you could be entertaining angels. This is where it comes from. So if you ever heard the Entertaining Angels or listen to that Newsboys song, I think it was Newsboys. might have been one of the other ones, but yeah, that's where, here you go. Entertaining Angels with Abraham. And they were eating. The angels and Jesus were eating in their spiritual, physical body, however that works. He's not human. They're not human, but they're still eating because a lot of people would be like, well, angels don't eat. Angels can't do this. Angels can't do that. Oh, he's eating with Abraham. They're not, there's no intolerance of gluten or dairy either, we can see with those angels, so we know what they can eat. All right, sorry. Dear Lord, we thank you for today. Yahweh, we thank you that you still deal with us. We thank you that you're still the just Yahweh that we can come to and intercede. Jesus, you are our intercessor. Holy Spirit, you show us how to pray. We have it good. And we thank you for that, Lord. And I just ask that you would show us in our own lives when we see the wickedness around us, when we see the, the, 
the junk that's going on to not take that attitude and to think about those that are stuck in those places. And Lord, to come into intercession and pray for your mercy on those situations. Lord, that we can, we can still be those that are concerned for all the nations. Jesus, we thank you for paving that path that all the nations can come back to you. And so just, just give us a heart that's like Abraham's. Even though he knew the wickedness there, Lord, he still had a heart for the people that were living in that city. Family members, I'm sure, but others too, Lord, that, that he was concerned about. And uh, as a friend of God, he came to you. So Lord, just, just show us those places in our lives where as friends of God, we can come to you for others. Help us to keep our heart pure with that. Help us to not live in judgment. So Jesus, we thank you for your example. We thank you for your still teaching us today. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.